feel like there's a prophetic moment in God right now where he's doing something in our hearts because he wants us to be a blessing to the nations. He wants us to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And you know what? If we're going to be a blessing, we have to realize that first we have to be able to say, God, will you bless me so that I can be a blessing? Many people want to pray, God, can you bless me? But few want to say, God, can you bless me so I can be a blessing? And that, that reality is so, so critical on discipleship. He's calling us to be a blessing for the nations. And as we begin our journey on this subject of money, it's recognizing there is a plate shift on our heart, in our hearts going on where we're moving from sheer obedience to the place of delight, where money can flow through our accounts and flow through our resources just like water because we have become like our fathers. We are generous like our heavenly father. And so part of this series, we're challenging you to take a challenge with us as a card on your seats, which you can pick up and look at later. But let's read in the scriptures, Mark 10, and let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this journey that you've got us on in money, and we pray, God, that you would continue to speak to us. Let your word come alive. Will you move and provoke us in our hearts? Will you do something in us as a community? In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 10, verse 17, the rich young man, and he was, he was settling out on his journey. A man ran up, this is speaking at Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is for those to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished, like Mr. Kipling. They, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything behind and followed you. And Jesus Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who not receive a hundredfold, no, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Profound lessons in that passage, profoundly provoking. If you're not provoked by that passage, you need to go home and read it again. It is one of the most provoking stories in the whole, the whole of the Gospels. And the, and the few points, few principles that come out of it. First is this, wealth is not inherently evil, but it is a massive challenge to discipleship. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever hit your thumb with a hammer. Anyone ever hit their thumb with a hammer? When you hit your thumb with a hammer, you forget that you have a body. You just have a thumb. <laughs> you have a thumb, and it's like the cartoon pictures, like wah, 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 that you don't, you can't give, you don't give a stuff about the rest of your body. All you care about is your thumb. Your thumb is like, help me, I'm hurting. Anyone had that experience? You know what I'm talking about. And that's what happens in this passage right now. You see the disciples, they're just so provoked. They're like, help! 
we don't get this. The young man is all turned upside down. This is an incredibly provoking passage. And the reality is this. Wealth is not an in- inherently evil, but it's a real challenge to discipleship. It's a massive challenge. You know, money has incredible power over our souls, in power for good and power for harm. It's a gift from God, but out of its place, it's a terrible, terrible master. And many, many people have learned that to their peril. Henry Ford, who created the Model T, said this, at the end of his life, after earning millions, if not billions, in today's money, out of his creation said, I wish I'd stayed as a mechanic, I was happier. (laughs) You know, that's a reality of money and finance. You know, in the States, they work out that 99% of all crime is either motivated by sex or money. 99%, if you could sort those two issues in the human heart, you would eliminate 99% of all crime in America today on the issues of sex or money. But you know what? The, The crimes that are related to money out, out, do the crimes that are related to sex four to one. It's issues about money that has a massive effect on the the human heart. It's a good, a a wonderful, money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible, terrible master. And that's why Jesus didn't say elsewhere, you should not serve God and money, but he says, you cannot serve God and money. It is impossible to have two masters. You cannot have money as a master and God as a master. You can only have one master and one Lord. But the reality is this. You cannot also take from this passage a universal command to poverty. Some have read this passage and said, right, so we should all sell everything and we should all give to the poor and do what Jesus said to this young man. But the reality is this. Luke 8, later in the, uh, in the Gospels, says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And the twelve were with him and also some women who provided for them out of their own means. <laughs> So what does it mean? Even the disciples knew that Jesus wasn't giving this as a command for everyone because otherwise those women would have had to have done the same thing. The reality is that some are called to give up all of their income to serve God in the mission to live by faith and some are called to create businesses that create income to support those who've given up everything to invest their lives in the kingdom of God. Both are investing in God's kingdom. They're just doing it in different ways. Are you with me? And some of you are like, I hope I'm that second group. I really hope I'm that second group. (laughs) But actually, neither is better. Both are just different callings. And so if we don't get to the end of this passage and think, God, I need what? I need wisdom. then we've missed it. I love Peter because in this passage, Peter gets the point where he's like, he always says what everyone else is thinking. He's like, help! (laughs) We don't get it, Jesus. This makes no sense to us. We need help. That's the cry of his heart. And I believe that unless you've got to that point in your discipleship where you're saying, God, if you don't give me wisdom about money, I'm I'm lost, then you've, you've, you've not begun this discipleship journey of money. It's when we get to that point and say, God, here is my money, help, (laughs) that we begin the revelation of discipleship. We begin that journey together with him. It's that point. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Have you noticed that kingdom wisdom is sometimes entirely the opposite of worldly wisdom? Anyone notice that? You've got that point? Yeah, well done. That point is a revelation for me. But I tell you what, when it comes to money, kingdom wisdom is entirely the opposite than worldly wisdom more times than it is on any other subject. It is radically upside down very often. I heard the story of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, who... uh, God told him to raise money for an orphanage that he had in London. So he was on a preaching tour. He was down in Bristol. He raised 300 pounds, which in today's money is about 20 grand. 
So he raises 20 grand, and at the end of raising it, he's going to go back to London to set up this orphanage, and God says, give the money away to your good friend George Miller for his orphanage. And he's like, God, I just raised this money. This is for our orphanage. And God says, give it away. So he goes to Miller's place, and he finds Miller in prayer, and he says, God told me to give you this 300 pounds for your orphanage. And Miller was in the middle of praying at the time, gets up and says, great to see you. He said, I've just been praying for 300 pounds. Thank you very much receives the money. Spurgeon goes on the way home thinking, what was all that about? Gets home, on his desk is an envelope. In the envelope is 300 pounds plus change. God gave him back his money plus interest. I mean, that just doesn't make sense, does it? It makes no sense to us. Kingdom wisdom is often very, very upside down, and particularly on this issue of money. I mean, take this, this guy, this guy in this story. You know, a young guy comes up to you and says, do you know what, I've got, I've got loads of resources. How do I grow spiritually? I mean, how do you respond to him? He's in your small group. He's like, I've got loads of resources financially. God's blessed me. How do I grow spiritually? What do you say to him? You say... Let's go out for dinner. You can pay. I mean, you, you say, come and walk alongside me for a bit. Let's walk together for a bit. You, you, you invite him on a journey. What does Jesus say? He gives him the hardest, most difficult challenge that he's ever given to anybody. He never gives this challenge to anyone. Sell everything and give it to the poor. He doesn't give this challenge away liberally. He just gives it to this guy. And it causes the guy to go running. You're like, Jesus, you're crazy. We know that Jesus was after the heart. There was a heart issue for this young man that needed provoking. Think, take, think about this illustration. You know, at the end of this meeting today, there's a, there's a widow you know. She's destitute. She's got no money. And she says, you know, I was provoked by Simon's uh, preach, and, and I'm going to give all of my income, all of my resources that I've got, I'm going to give into the offering today. What would you say to her? I mean, you'd say, you're well, I think you might have misapplied. Surely, I mean, how are you going to eat? You know, it doesn't make any sense what you're doing. What about this illustration? There's a businessman who comes to you. Do you know what? He says, God's blessed me. I've got a warehouse just north of, north of Bedford. And do you know what? It's, we can't grow anymore. The warehouse is full. I'm going to tear down that warehouse. I'm going to build a bigger warehouse. And out of that warehouse, I'm going to be able to have much more resources. I mean, what would you say? You'd say, brilliant. You can take me to dinner as well. You know, I want to get to know you. What does Jesus say about those illustrations? To the widow... He says, she has done well because she gave all of her income for the kingdom of God. So the rich man who tears down his barn and builds a bigger barn, he says, you fool, because tonight, this very night, God is going to give you account and take your life and because you were rich towards yourself but not rich towards God. It's like, I don't get this because kingdom wisdom is very often upside down when it comes to earthly wisdom. In every sense, Jesus gives the opposite advice. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your, my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jesus finishes this whole statement with, the first will be last and the last will be first. What does it mean? I do not know. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I do know this. It means that we need wisdom, and it's not our wisdom is his wisdom. We need his wisdom. We need God's wisdom in this situation. Don't assume. I love this story. We have courage cards coming in with stories, and I love this one from TSM. One of the, girl, one of the ladies on TSM wrote this. So one of my secret dreams this year was that I'll be like to be out of debt, but I've accumulated some over traveling over the last few years. Before starting last year's TSM, God told me there was no way possible for me to work enough 
to be able to finance the stuff he has called me to. So, as an act of faith and showing God and showing God I trusted him to provide, I sowed my entire month's wages into a particular ministry. But God has provided ever since. Over Christmas, I found out I was going to be given an amount of inheritance this July that will absolutely cover my debt and let me sow into other smart stuff. And I figured out yesterday it was 10 times the amount that I, beget, that I gave to God before I started TSM. How fun is that? God is so faithful and sowing into him is so much fun. <laughs> I love that story. But you know what? If you took that story and says, right, I'm going to give my month's wages, it might not apply to you. <laughs> Because what? We need wisdom, but we need wisdom from a father. You cannot, there are principles, but those principles do not supplant relationship. God is the only one who can tell you what to do to your money. That's why we must study his word and listen to his voice and say, Father, my money is your money. I want to obey and follow you on this adventure of giving. It's that heart that he calls us into because we need help. And, and you know, as we go on this journey, we recognize that this wisdom is not a disembodied wisdom, but it's a wisdom that comes out of the place of sonship. It comes from the place of relationship with him. And that's the point that I wanted to make. Thirdly, the Father's provision is foundational to discipleship. When we come to money, it's got to be rooted in the Father's provision. You know, whenever I used to read this story, uh, I, I, I would read it like this. Jesus says to the young guy, look, I want to make you poorer, but it's okay because when you die and get to heaven, you'll be richer. Anyone else ever read it like that? That's how it, the story reads to me. Give up everything in this life, I'm going to make you poorer because when you, it's okay because when you die and get to heaven, you'll, you'll be richer. You know, that's the deal. That's what's on the table. But actually, if you look at the words, you have to understand when Jesus talked about heaven, and these are his words exactly, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When you think about the concept of heaven, though, you have to realize that when Jesus talked about heaven, he was not talking about the place you go to when you die. You can look right the way through the Gospels. To Jesus, when he talked about heaven, he is not saying, he is not talking about the place you go to when you die. He's talking about what? He's talking about the place that exists now. He's talking about the realm of his father. And so what he's saying to this rich young ruler, or this rich young man is this. He's saying, look, you've got a bit of money, but I'm telling you what. My father in heaven has got a heck of a lot more money than you have. And if you give up your money right now and give it away and follow me, I am going to open the door of heaven for you and you will have resources that come out of heaven, a treasure in heaven that far surpasses any kind of money that you've got in your bank account right now. That's what he's saying. He's not making him poorer, he's making him richer. (laughs) He's giving him access to heaven's resources in a radical way. He's giving him access to God's resources in a way that this young man was going to be blown out of the water with how much resources were available to him. Jesus is inviting him into relationship and sonship. He wasn't making the man poorer. He was making the man richer. And, and laziness says, God, someone, God, the world owes me a living. And self-reliance says, I've got to pay my own way. But sonship says, my father provides what I need. Sonship says, my father provides what I need. 
Sometimes he does that through a job. Sometimes he does that through a radical gift from a stranger, a friend. Sonship says, the source is my father, whereas laziness says, the world owes me a living, and self-reliance says, I'll do it my own way. You see the radical call that Jesus is making. He's saying to this guy, give up your self-reliance, come follow me, and I will give you the access to the resources of my heavenly father. Wow! Wow! It is phenomenal. God is calling us on this radical journey of sonship. I was praying with a lady recently, and as we were talking, she brought up the fact that she was in debt and she'd got this extra job to pay for it. It was stressing her out. I said, you know what, it's good when you're in debt, it's good to think about how you can work your way out of debt. You know, it's good to do that. But fundamentally, I said, you know what, as we talked, she'd said that her issue was self-reliance. I said, fundamentally, I think if you pay this debt off through your own sweat and blood and tears, through working extra hours and shifts and things, you'll learn one thing. I think there's a greater lesson for you to be learned. I want you to ask God to pay off half of this debt just out of his own grace out of his own generosity. I want you to ask God to pay off half this debt without you earning a penny towards it because I think that's the kind of father you've got. And she teared up as she realized she'd been living in this servitude, but God was inviting her to sonship. And she was like, but it's my debt. It was my mistake. I've made the mistakes. I said, no, no, you are now part of a family. The debt was taken by Christ. He may use different ways to pay it off, but ultimately he is your father. And good fathers pay for their kids. Good fathers help their kids out, especially good-hearted kids who take responsibility for their stuff. You know, in Mark 6, on this thing, the disciples go out on the first missionary trip, and Jesus says to this them, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt, but wear sandals. Uh, don't take two pairs of sandals and don't put on two tunics. Just don't take anything with you. Later in their discipleship journey, and he sends them on a trip, he says, do take extra stuff. But this trip, he says, take nothing else with you. Why? Because right at the beginning of their ministry, he's wanting them to learn this lesson. My father provides for my needs. He is my source. And if I go on this journey and know that, then I know that I've learned a spiritual lesson. This is uh, one of the things I love to do with the kids is to learn, read stories, and we read lots and lots of stories as family, uh, and uh, we read lots of missionary stories because we, we all love them, and we've been reading the story of Brother Andrew, and uh, Caleb's one of f- favorite stories at the moment is this story of Brother Andrew, who began the um, a missionary society, is quite a famous believer, particularly behind uh, working into the Iron Curtain in the Muslim majority world. Um, but his, this story tells the account of where he was trained, and he was trained in a, in a missionary college up in, in Scotland, and uh, he was given this experiment to do in part, as part of his training. The rules were quite simple, the instructor said. Each of you is to be given a one-pound note, and with that money, you are to undertake a month-long missionary tour of Scotland. You'll be expected to pay all of your costs from that one pound. You'll travel in a team of five, but when you get back to school after a month, you are to pay back the one pound. During the time you're away, you're not allowed to take up a single offering and you're not allowed to mention your need to anyone that you meet on your journeys. It's an experiment in trusting God to supply and you must not manipulate the experiment in any way. If you do, the experiment will fail. So off they went. Andrew and four others set out on a month-long preaching tour of Scotland, preaching and faithfully witnessing as they went. They spoke in churches and halls along the way. They were careful not to mention their needs anywhere 
And as they traveled, they had enough money to cover their costs for the entire trip. Anonymous donations, a letter from home, from money. At one point, someone gave them 600 eggs, which they ate, had eggs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for several days, and then gave hundreds of eggs away. And finally, after crisscrossing Scotland for a month, they headed back to Glasgow, and upon arrival back at the mission training station, each of them paid back their one-pound note, and they also had 10 extra pounds, which they gave to give to another missionary family. <laughs> I love that story. This is a radical journey of entering in to our Father's provision. He is the God who provides. He is the God who provides. And this radical journey of obedience, this radical journey of obedience starts at obedience, but it ends far, somewhere far beyond obedience. Some people just get really uptight about tithing, and we're talking about money, and say so you're already crossing your arms on the inside, sometimes on the outside. And you're like, when's he going to mention tithing? He's going to say we have to tithe. Hate that word. You're not saying it. You look smiley on the outside. Or some of you do anyway. <laughs> When's he going to mention that we have to say, listen, if your internal journey has got you to the point where you're thinking, I hate the word tithing and I don't want to tithe. Tithing is to give the first 10% of your income. I would urge you, please, please don't tithe. Don't, don't tithe. You're not in the right place to tithe. But ask yourself this one question. Why don't I want to? Why don't I want to? Because you know what? The heart of sonship doesn't, doesn't, doesn't end at tithing. The heart of sonship goes way beyond tithing. If you think that all God wants is your 10%, you have missed the point entirely. He doesn't just want 10%. He wants everything. <laughs> he wants it all. If you think I'm going to say, if the message and the point of this message is that you need to give God 10%, you have missed it completely. No, no, the point of this message is this. Everything you have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to him. And so the question is, how much do you want to join him on the privilege of giving? How much do you want to join him on the adventure, the creative adventure of giving into him? Because I tell you what, as one man said, I shovel out to God, but God shovels back to me and God has got a bigger shovel. <laughs> I shovel out to God and he shovels out to me, but he has got a bigger shovel. That is the reality. That's the journey of sonship that we've got to go on to. That's the journey that takes us beyond obedience to delight, where we begin to realize actually giving and extravagantly is a delight when we understand that's what our father is like. He's a good dad. And he loves to give and he wants to create an army of people, a family of people who say, Dad, make me like you. How much can I give? Some of you are like, I want to be there, but I'm just not quite there. I'm in the same place. We have good days and bad days, don't we? But that is the journey of the heart. It's when we say, God, I want to be this extravagant, radical giver. I want to be like my dad. I want to look like you. You know, genuine sons, you know, sometimes we have needs, sometimes of a thousand or so quid. And my kids, one of the first things they'll often say is, I, I could pay. Dad, I could help. You know, they've got 50 or 60 quid in their account from birthday money. I, we could, I could give my 50 pounds. I tell you, that is the heart of a son. A son is not how much, how little. A slave, a servant says, how little can I get away with giving? A son says, how much can I give into dad's business? How much can I contribute? I want to join in. I want to partner with my father. I want to see the planet change and I want to play my part. A slave says, how, much, how little can I give? 
How, how little do I need to give to get to eternity, you know, to just be okay, to sneak through? A son says, I want to play my part. God, give me more so that I can give more. God, I'm tired. I'm bored. What's, I was talking to Caroline the other day. I was saying, I'm so bored with our level of giving. I just feel, ah, oh, we've just been stuck in this place, faithfully giving out of obedience, and it's good, but man, alive, there's more. There's more to be had. And it's this journey of delight that says, God, mate, bless me so that I can bless rather than bless me so that I can consume. The world says, bless me so I consume. But believers in Christ say, bless me so that I can bless and be a blessing and be an answer and be a solution to the poverty and the endless needs around me. This is the radical journey. Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, some of us here, there's this journey of sonship. For some, you've been giving faithfully. I was talking to someone in the break, and I said, I've been giving faithfully, but I always feel like I'm never giving enough. For others, your journey is you just don't ever want to give. And I would urge you, both of those groups, come to a place of sonship. Come into the house of your father. Because if you had a kid and you didn't ever want to contribute to the family, what would you think? Would you care about the money? You wouldn't care about the money. If you had a kid who didn't ever want to wash up and didn't ever want to sweep, some of you are like, I've got a killer. You can do the washing up, can't you? You can sweep the floor. Does it really matter? It gets done. What's the point? It's, a cho- it's the point of the heart. What bothers you as a parent is the point of a heart. The, the kid who never wants to give, you're worried, not because you care about... So you, you can pay someone to sweep for you. That's not the point. The point is I'm worried about their heart. But the other reality is if you had a child who never felt like... who always felt like they weren't doing enough, they were faithfully contributing, but they always felt like they're not doing enough, what would you feel as a parent? You'd be devastated. You'd say, come on, this is not about the coins and the... Of course, I know your heart, you're giving what you can. That's great. I had a, a lady comes to me one time, she said, you know what, my husband's are not... I said, I've, you know, we spoke about tithing again, I feel so guilty. My husband's not a believer, he won't let me tithe, I want to tithe. What I say to her, you pitiful disciple, you deserve the condemnation of God. Some people have heard that in church, and it's toxic. I said, you poor thing. The Father sees your heart. He sees what you can give. He commended a woman who gave two mites. That's all she could give. And he said, it's far more than these other guys are giving. Because she gave what you could. I said, just listen to the Holy Spirit. This is, wis- this is not just principle. This is wisdom from heaven, from the Father to you. What is he? What can you give? What do you want to give? What's he saying? She says, well, I do have a small allowance. And she said, if I'm really careful with it, I know that I could tithe off that. I said, that is is amazing. I'm not saying to do it. I'm saying you just listen to the Father. Because if you're caught in either of those places, I would urge you, this is not about money. This is about sonship. And sons have discovered that money is one of the... Which is why Jesus... Spoke about it so much. Sons have discovered that money is an avenue to a radical acceleration of identifying with a good, good father. And money provokes it like no other subject. Money provokes us like no other in no other way to say, Father, I want to live like a son who has access to heaven's resources 
has access to the resources of eternity and can change the world with a blessing that you've blessed us with. What did Jesus say? Even if you give a cup of water in my name, you'll receive a reward. What does he say in this passage? He says, you, you can give a, he says, no one who gives in this life will be left shortchanged. You will receive a, you give your home, you will receive a hundred times. Why? Because you've entered into a family. You've entered into homes and I will provide for you. I've known people who've given up their homes and they've said, I've never ever had to sleep on the streets. I've always had a home to stay in. I've always had a roof over my head. I've never, I've given, I gave away my home because God told me to and we've never ever had, I've, I've stayed in hundreds of places. But God provided me a home in every place that I went to. There's something about this journey that realizes he's a good father. We can't outgive him. And if we go on this journey of money, it changes us from the inside out. It's a radical path of discipleship. Amen.